Um, let's just read this text here. We'll just let the text speak. 1 Peter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. 1 Peter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We're going to talk about today what God says about humility. What God says about humility. Last week we considered what God says about pride. And today we'll focus on the antithesis of pride, and that is humility. Um, today, being July 4th, is our nation's birthday. And we should uh, be thankful that we are Americans and, and honored that we are. And um, it's, I've, I brought this out last time in our message, but I want you to, let's reflect again on the kind of the contemporary thought about our nation versus a correct thought about our nation. The contemporary thought about our nation is, <clears throat> there are several factors. Um, one thought is politics will fix everything that's wrong with our country, which politics doesn't <clears throat> fix everything. Um, heart change can fix a lot of things when God accomplishes a heart change in people. That fixes a lot of things. But one of the contemporary thoughts is that uh, whatever we're going through, we just need to be proud and be, you know, pull up our bootstraps and just keep going forward. We've, we've overcome. We'll always overcome. Whatever it is we've, we're facing, we can do it. We've always do, done it. We can never be defeated. We're the greatest nation there ever was, and we always will be. I'm using excessive language because that's the kind of language I keep hearing about our country. Like, whatever it is, we can overcome, and we'll always have, we always will, and it just seems to be a little bit arrogant to say those things. It sounds cool on first. It sounds like a great political rally. Yeah, yeah, we always will. We're not eternal Americans. We're temporary Americans, and the country's temporary, for one. But if it's to last, if our country is to last longer, it won't be by being proud. That's the way to shorten it. And God talks about, you can read the prophets. God talks about, through the prophets, uh, the pride of Moab, the pride of Egypt, the pride of Edom, the pride of Israel, the pride of Sodom, the pride of Babylon, the pride of, you know, these different countries. And it was like, it was a signal of a downfall. And so, uh, right now in our country, there's an emphasis, gigantic emphasis, as we said last week, on the sentiment and the passion of being proud. It's good, is what we're being told, that it's good to be proud. And we need to change, use, change that word, and you can say humility, which we'll preach that. We should say, no, it's an honor to be. I'm happy to be American. It's an honor to be. Things like that. But our country keeps emphasizing, no, be proud that you're American. Let's just have pride. And the Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And the, and the Bible says God hates pride. He hates a proud look. Um, I, I, I don't have time, but, and I think I said this last year, there's some, 
Miracles in American History, 32 Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer. And I read some of these stories. I haven't read the whole book, but I was thumbing through some of it last night. And um, they're, most of them are based on some early accounts of our, of our country being at war or just wrestling through trying to hammer out our Constitution and stuff like that. And so many times we'd come to a difficulty. And you know what the call was? The call was not to pride. The call was literally a president, uh, or at the time, General Washington would make a call for a day of humiliation and fasting and prayer. And then later, uh, he did it again at Valley Forge, a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer, where they literally stop and not do anything on a day in the middle of you know, a battle because you have barefooted, uh, tattered soldiers that are freezing and we have no, we're poor on, we were such a poor, we were a poor army that beat the British. And it was because we chose to humble ourselves and find God's grace. And God had a plan too beyond, beyond that. Um, but, um, at, I mean, several presidents where they called for, I'm just fascinated by uh, a call for fasting and prayer and humiliate, national humiliation. Here's another one. We almost went to war with France. I think it was in, in late, I think it was late 17, late 1700s. Almost went, had a, some issues with France. We almost, it would have been bad. Went, almost went to war with them. And the president at the time may have been one of the Adams said, we need to have a day of fasting and prayer and humiliation. And it, they think it helped abate some wars. Now, um, it, it doesn't abate every war apparently, but it, it, it was, it, uh, my point is, is this, is that our country was born out of a humble soil, but will die in proud soil. See, we succeeded on the, from the grace of being humble before God. That's how we succeeded. It's clear in history. We did not succeed by you know, touting ourselves. We didn't succeed because we were wealthy, because we weren't. We didn't succeed because we were more in number, because we weren't. We succeeded because two things. We, we appealed to God's graces, by and large, as a country, and humbled ourselves, and God just chose to let it be. So, um, as I think about this day, I think of, uh, that of our past success was, was rooted in um, an attitude of humility. Difference between pride and humility. Pride it means arrogance. Um, humility allows for um, lowly tasks to be done. Pride means to be swollen. Humility has just a calm reserve. Pride means to be haughty. Humility just means to be down to earth. Pride has a, a big ego. Humility doesn't hate itself. It just doesn't have to be the center of attention. Pride has excess esteem and pomp. And humility knows how to just um, comply with uh, providence, with God's providence. You know, <clears throat> when it comes to pride and proud people, it's unfortunate. It's like I know too many illustrations of it because of my own life. I'm tempted to say I know more about pride than you. Tempted to say that, but I won't say that. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Those like I know too many things about pride, but I'm trying to learn this today. We'll learn it together. You know what I've realized about pride? There's introverted pride, 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 and extroverted. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, that guy's loud and proud. He's just 
proud. He's just prideful. You know, I've seen more people that are introverted and proud. You can be loud proud and you can be quiet proud. It comes in different packages. Just some introductory thoughts. You know what I think, you know what I thought about? I was thinking about this. And it makes so much more sense when I think about the cross. Think about this. What do most people think is stronger, being proud or being humble? What do most people think takes to be, yet to be strong? Thinks being, pro- being proud means you're strong, right? Being proud means you're strong. You have to be strong to be proud. You have to be strong to stay proud. And being humble is weak. I think it's exactly the opposite. Think about this. Pride is so is weak. Pride can't do the lowly. It's not strong enough. Pride can't take a back seat. He's not strong enough to take a back seat. Pride, he can do a lot of things, but he can't be ignored. Pride can't take blame. He must shed the blame all the time. He's not strong enough to take the blame. By the way, he took all the blame, humbled himself even unto death. He was strong enough to take blame for somebody else. Pride has difficulty apologizing, just not strong enough. Pride has difficulty telling the truth when it's tough. Pride has difficulty going without common pleasures. Pride doesn't seem really strong. It seems weak. But humility, because it's like Christ is, is in a sense, strong. It, it's like there's a certain type of uh, strength that you have to have to take a back seat, to be ignored. A certain type of resolve to let it happen. There's a certain strength it takes to go without common pleasures, to be overlooked, to tell the truth. Humility takes strength. I guess what I'm saying is humility just looks like Jesus, and so that's what we want. So let's look at our text now. And so Peter brings this up, 5, 6, and 7. And the purpose of the rest of our time is just to unpack this here. We're going to look at five distinctions of what God says about humility. Peter gives us five distinctions. All right, let's look at these five distinctions that we're admonished to take note of here. Number one, humility involves subjection. Well, that sounds weak to submit yourself to somebody. Humility involves subjection. Look what it says, verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the older. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. The context of telling us, to, commanding us to have a humble disposition is in the context of saying, you know what, be cooperative with people. Cooperate. That's what submit means. It means, can you work well with others? It means you, you can work well with others. Like, you know, you see the person that has the shirt or the sticker, doesn't work well with others. Yeah, okay. That's why you have no friends and you're alone all the time. You know? But uh, 
if we're just going to learn from Peter this, we see that humility involves subject yourself one to another. See, the, the context, look at verse 5, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the other, unto the elder. He talks about, Paul, Peter had talked about people groups. He talked about earlier in the chapter, wives, their relations to their husband, husband, how they relate back to their wife, um, uh, servants, and then, I, I don't know that he says, yeah, he does say servants, actually. And then chapter, beginning of chapter 5, uh, elders, which are also known as pastors, here's what you need to do. And then the last people group is, oh, you younger. Younger, and we expect this to be said, younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. We can't expect that statement, don't we? But then Peter's like, yeah, all of you be like that. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. God resists the stubborn, arrogant, proud, and gives grace to the humble. So whatever humility is, even if all we knew was what is in this text, it involves subjecting yourself one to another. You know, you, um, do what your boss says unless he's telling you to, you know, commit suicide or do something illegal or sell pot for him or something, you know. Oh, I guess that's legal now, isn't it? I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> Just saying that. We think it's, you think you're strong for always being a rebel. Maybe you're weak for being a rebel. I realize I have to be strong enough to be humble. It's a denial of self. Involves subjection. I, I, I know that my wife and I are married, and I know that it's over one we have children, we have a life, we have systems and gears and mechanics operating in the house and finances and all kinds of stuff. And I know that I am the head of the family. But the head has nerves that go through the body, and the body tells the head some things, and the head responds back. And the head can ignore nerves if the head wants to in a body. And same thing, my wife has a lot of nerves, I mean that in a good way, in that she senses a lot of things, and I get feedback, and I can respond to that. I don't pander to every single thing my wife says, because there comes a point where I know that maybe I'm convinced of something else that's best, and I'll move forward on it. But a lot of times, I, I like, what do you want? What do you want? You know, what do you think about this? And we, we try to stay one mind of one mind as much as possible. In an emergency... I'm going <laughs> to say what, you know, I'm just going to do what needs to be done if I know it's an emergency thing. And I'm like, this is what we're going to do. You know, I'm not going to argue. But my point is I even try to submit myself with my wife, and she submits herself with me. It even says it in Ephesians 5. It says it in the context of husband and wife. Submit yourselves one to another. Um, so I think there's a, there's a tone there that I need to have, we all need to have. Involved subjection. Number two, what about humility? We want to learn five distinctions. Here's the second one. All right, here we go. Number two, humility is for all. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now, we can at least say with Christians, you know, it is... Um, it's for everybody to have a humble disposition. Again, this does not mean self-hate, 
self-pouting and all this. It doesn't mean that. It just means have this attitude of you're not the main thing. You know, they, they have these bumper stickers, and I've seen shirts of in this recent generation that says, it's not about me in some Christian circles. And at first I'd be like, you just now got that? But now I'm like, okay, we all need to remain reminded of that. It's not about me. And that's the idea here. Um, um, it's be, having a, a disposition of humility is for all of us. We usually expect it of the young. But God says we need to have humility toward God and humility toward men. He did. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this moment is called humiliation. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, Isaiah says. But leading into the whole thing, in the whole path of his life, he's, he's becoming obedient toward this. He's becoming obedient in, in making himself a servant and being in the likeness of men. Listen to this. What do we know of Jesus' life between the age 12 and 30? crickets you know nothing you don't know much except that he worked he was a carpenter he worked and his foster father joseph was a carpenter that's about all we know he lived in obscurity and then three years of ministry but um jesus this is the life of jesus and and peter says all of you be clothed with humility um i read about i think i've shared this before some of you heard of Booker T. Washington, he, he, a black man. He lived from 1856 to 1915. He was part of the last generation of leaders, some black leaders that were born into slavery. He was part of that last generation. Uh, he became a renowned uh, educator, um, orator, author. He led the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. He, I didn't know this. He had advised, at some level, several U.S. presidents. And he became a voice for former slaves. And he was a Republican. That's interesting. But shortly after he took over the presidency of this Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, um, he, walking through, he was walking through a neighborhood, and uh, apparently he was in kind of a wealthy area, tended to be more white people, white wealthy people. He was walking down the street. And some lady, some white wealthy lady says, hey, come on over here. And uh, she said, to, would, you, would you like to, she didn't know who she was talking to. She's like, would you like to earn some money chopping up some of my wood? Why don't you chop up some of my wood? I'll pay you some. And he's like, all right. He's like, thought, I got some time, and he rolled up his sleeves and chopped the wood for her and did all that, this and that and stacked it where it needed to be stacked and, and went his way. When he went his way, a little girl came running up to that lady and said, do you know who that is? That's Booker T. Washington from the Tuskegee Institute. Really? She felt embarrassed. I mean, they, you know, white or black, they all had respect for him being that of that uh, position there. She felt embarrassed. Oh, I can't believe I asked him to do that. And so she, um, the next day I read that she went to his, went to his office and uh, she apologized profusely. She says, and he, when she apologized, he said, it's perfectly all right, ma'am. He said, occasionally I enjoy doing a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. 
And uh, she shook, they shook hands and had kind of a warm departure. And um, she was, she was, um, she said, uh, she assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him to her and his work was endeared to her heart. There's something, I don't know the whole history of the Tuskegee Institute, but she became more favorable to it. Well, not soon after that, this is a wealthy woman. She went and related her incident with some friends and acquaintances and and she convinced several friends, other wealthy friends and acquaintances to donate. And they donated several thousand dollars to the Institute um, based on that initial contact. But here's a man who has a position and it was for even him. He, okay, he humbled himself, went and chopped wood, got paid for it, to be honest, something. But maybe not much. Perhaps she thought he was just, you know, something else and not. But, but he... But humility was for him. It wasn't like, ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the president, the renowned president of the great doctor, what am I naming it, Booker T. Washington of the Tuskegee Institute. Didn't do that. At least it doesn't say it in the account. So it's for all. Number three, what else about humility? Peter teaches us it involves subjection. It's for all. Number three, it's taken as clothing. All of you be clothed with humility. Now, I like to wear cotton. I like to be clothed with cotton. I, I mean, there's a lot of synthetic stuff nowadays, you know, and I, I have it. In fact, this probably is partly synthetic something and partly cotton. You know, I like to be clothed with cotton. Remember rayon? Do they still do rayon? I had rayon. It's like a fake silk or something, you know. Somebody, anybody have silk? Anything silk? No? Yeah? Got some? Okay. Silk. Leather, pleather, whatever else there is, you know, whatever, you know. There's all kinds of different things you like to be clothed with, you know. Some people, we don't know what coats are. We've heard of them, right? We've heard of those things, coats. I'd like to see one someday. <laughs> but people like to wear coats, and we like to be clothed with different things. Um, so clothing yourself, well, let me back up a little bit. The word here when he says be clothed with humility, the, it's a unique... You know, you can get a dig in a little bit in the Greek word. The word means, the word is a picture of a, of a servant putting on an apron. There he is, he's a servant. Puts on the apron, he shows, okay, I'm ready to whatever. When, you, when a servant puts on an apron, you can pretty much tell him anything. He's going to do it. And Peter uses that word to say, be clothed with humility. Be clothed with him, a readiness to, to accept and do anything, provided it be morally right and honoring to God. But back to the thought of clothing. Our clothing um, is, it describes your appearance. If, you, if somebody says, hey, who is that, who is that guy over there? Or, or, or no, somebody says, did, um, um, who did you see at, uh, you know, who did you see at the store? I saw a guy wearing a this, this, and usually describe, you might describe face and color, skin color, but you'll say, oh, they were wearing this, they were wearing this, and they, were, and they become characterized by what they're wearing. Our clothing characterizes our appearance, it becomes part of our appearance. So also, um, humility characterizes our attitude. It gives a good characteristic to our attitude. Okay, so if I'm clothed in humility, it will be seen in a readiness to perform the lowly, lowly tasks. Okay, question. This is going to be probably for most of us here, our parents. How many of us parents had had or have cloth diapers for our babies, not for ourselves. Mm. No. Cloth diapers, okay. All right. So we, 
I have this thing where I have a, this is just pulled to the side here. I have an opinion. I think all young parents should use cloth diapers at least for one year for each kid. I think you ought to do it. That's just my opinion. Okay, back to the Bible. Um, um, so anyways, what happened was, so we had Michael, Joe, Gideon, Susie. So we used some disposable diapers. I don't know, maybe 50%, do you think, of that? 50% of the time? Maybe less? Less than 50%? Wow. We were so humble. <laughs> so I what I'm saying is that we, I, so we used cloth diapers on, on these kids, Michael, Joe, Gideon, Susie. And honestly, to be honest, I don't want to go back. I'm glad with the disposable stuff. We'll put it in the budget. So, but we used cloth diapers. I remember putting them on Michael and Joe and Gideon and changing the diaper. And then when they soiled them, and I'm not talking about pee, I'm talking about some color in there that's dark. And, and uh, you know how you clean them? Well, I don't know how you clean them, but this is how we're supposed to clean them. The toilet! Yeah. You empty it out. I had a little art to it. I went <laughs> like that. And then I grab a lot of toilet paper and wipe it a little bit more, flush it the second time, and then wipe it and more, flush it. Then I'll plunge in there. I put that soiled. This is the truth. We really did this, Johnny. We put that diaper in there. We, and I scrub, and you just rub it together like this. Flush it, rub it together, flush it. Oh! I didn't want to see that. I thought it was digested. Anyways, uh, you know, and so you just, and then you clean, and then you let it lay on your bathtub, and then mommy washes it, you know. I did that a few times. She did it more than I did. But that's humbling. <laughs> that's a lowly task. But, it, you know, it was good. It was, honestly, it's good for me to do that. And I suppose if we had to again, we would do it again. So, um, you know, but clothed with humility means you're, you're ready to perform a lowly task. You have the ability to be ignored. You have the ability to adapt to a non-routine. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes people, oh, I don't do this and I don't do that. You're weak. You don't know how to adapt. Humility can adapt. Humility can learn. It's clothing. That's what it looks like on us. Number four, humility. There's good reasons to choose humility. That's number four. Four, look what he says in verse five. For four, here's a reason. Here's the reason to be clothed. Here's the reason to put the humility clothing on. For God, here two reasons. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. A negative reason. God resists the proud. So if I'm not clothed with humility, I'm either on the verge of being proud or I am proud. God resisteth the proud. He says that. He didn't care how you, how you flavor your proud. Oh, Lord, I'm proud, but I'm a Baptist proud. He doesn't care. I'm proud, but I'm, a, I'm an American proud. He, I'm flavored with the American flavor of proud. Uh, he doesn't care. Well, I'm proud, but I'm a Republican proud. Uh, he still resists you. I'm proud, but I'm a very moral proud. He still resists you. I'm proud, but I'll have you know, there's a lot of ignorant people around me. I know, I'm very educated, proud. God says, I still resist you. Because everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And so, I, so God is telling us he would resist us, no matter how we flavored ourselves. Resist the proud. 
you know, I don't like beating my head against the wall. I don't like doing something. I'm like, you know, you try to dig, dig something, maybe dig a hole. And you, I remember being out here. We, we had to trench some line from our power, from our breaker box to get to, um, to the to the sign. We had to build this monument sign. We so we had to run some pipe in the ground, and I I got a. <clears throat> I can't remember what you call those random A to Z, and it digs a trencher, and it digs that. Man, we hit a couple of roots. Boy, those things for this tree. And I, It's not fun just, like, hitting the root. Okay, let's just sit there and keep hitting the root. I, I had to stop and get out an axe and hack at it on each side and hack and hack and get it out of the way. You know, I don't like just sitting there hitting resistance and hitting resistance and hitting resistance. So with God, I, I want to work with God. I want to have grace with God. I want to um, be like this with God, where we're facing the same direction, not like this. And God says, if you're proud, you're, you're resisting, and I'm resisting you. I'm resisting you. I'm pushing you back. And so good reasons to choose humility is because God resists the proud. Second thing is because he gives grace to the humble. Listen, we have time. Follow me to three scriptures. Go to Psalm, one, you can hold your place. Go to Psalm 138, verse 6. Let's quickly see three scriptures, and if you're having a hard time turning there, we'll, we'll read it out loud clearly, uh, but Psalm 138, verse 6, where we see the concept of God um, favoring person with a humble disposition. Psalm 138, verse 6. Psalm 138, verse 6. Notice what it says, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud knoweth he afar off. That's interesting. Though the Lord be high, he is high. It's all natural. Yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. He keeps him at bay. Follow me to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 4. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, verse 4. Interesting statement here. Right in the middle of the Bible there, to the right of the Psalms is Proverbs. In verse 20, chapter 22, verse 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. God rewards that, that combo there of humility and the fear of the Lord. Let's go to one more passage, and we'll go back to Peter. It's in Isaiah. Follow me to Isaiah. That's to the right. Several more books. It's a, Isaiah is a little larger uh, book, a prophet, uh, a prophet here. Several chapters. Isaiah 57. Go to Isaiah 57, and go to verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. I like this one. I like this here. It's a... Uh, seizes my thoughts here. Isaiah 15, or 57 rather, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, that's God, the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. 
whose name is holy. Well, we'll pause right there. Now, this is who God is. Who is God? He's the high and lofty one. He's just way above us. He transcends to us through Jesus Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But he's high and lofty one. Not only that, he inhabits eternity. Can anybody do that? He spans time. Wow, you're just way up there. Yeah, but listen to what he says. And he's holy. His name is holy. Look what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Have you ever been to a ball game? You know, you go to one of these ball games, uh, Cardinals game, Suns game, and you look up there at the, look at those booths. What do they call this? Are they called suites? What are they called? The sweets, you're like, look at those behind the glass, all the snacks in there, air-conditioned, it's not too loud. Oh, such important people in there, you know. I wonder if the owner's up there, you know. And he's looking at, wow, look at that. And God says, you know, I'm way up there, but you know what? I'm buddy-buddy I'm <laughs> with those that are of, what does he say, of a... He talks about broken people, too. This is kind of goes on another side to this part of humility. Contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit. It's talking about broken people. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The worst thing to happen to you is not to be broken. That could be sometimes the best thing to happen to us because that's when we can connect with God. But God, he gives grace. The point is, why, sh why should I choose humility? Well, God resists the proud. And then secondly, he gives grace to the humble. He's close to them. And then last point. Let's go all the way back to 1 Peter. The last point of what we learn about humility from Peter is number five. Humility is to be exercised with respect to God's hand. It's to be practiced in view of God's hand. We are to put it on with a conscientiousness of God's hand. With respect to God's hand, we practice humility. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, it gives a picture here, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So three thoughts here out of this idea of that, in other words, the fact that, all right, I just need to have a right attitude. I just need to have a humble attitude, not be so full of myself and not be so me, myself, and I. And, and just be just low-key and be modest about things and, and just be adaptable and be flexible. Just be humble. And I, need to be, and I need to be humble with respect to the hand of God. So three thoughts here. It's an uplifting hand. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God said, it's kind of like, think about the whole aspect of, a, you know, some of our past battles in the United States with George Washington, some others, they're, bat, they're having difficulty. What did they do? They actually thought, oh, we're, it's kind of like this. Watch this. We're, we're, we're losing. We're losing. We're poor. We're tattered. We're, the British are coming and all this stuff, and we're losing this battle and that battle. And, 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 and so they already fell down. Guess what they did? They went down further. And they dedicated a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And they humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. 
And God chose to uplift us, at least in some key, certain key moments in American history, Revolutionary War being one of them. Humbled ourselves, and, and he lifted us up. It's an uplifting hand. You know, it's interesting. Let me give this example. Anybody ever hang glide? I don't want to. I just, I'll watch people do it. It's like, okay, that's pretty cool. All right. <clears throat> Anyways, but I read about this guy hang gliding. It's interesting. His name was Ron, Ronald is his name. Pinkerton was his full name. And he describes a near accident he had while hang gliding. He had launched his hang glider, and when he did, he had been forcefully lifted 4,200 feet up into the air. Again, some of this stuff, you're at the mercy of whatever the wind's doing, you know, it's versus a, a fixed wing with an engine or jet or whatever, propeller. But so he went right up, and then he started to descend. And as he was descending, suddenly he was hit by a powerful new blast that set his hang glider plummeting, not just calmly descending, but plummeting. And he was plummeting to the ground, and there was the... The mechanics of the glider was fine. It was the wind. It was like a, um, something thrusting him down. And here's what his words. He says, I was falling at an alarming rate. I was trapped in an airborne riptide. I was going to crash. Then I saw him, a red-tailed uh, hawk, six feet off my right wing. He was doing the same thing I was. He was fighting the same gust of wind, fighting it. We're both going down. He said, I looked down to the ground, and I could calculate about 300 feet to the ground, still falling. The trees seemed like menacing pikes. He said, I looked over at the hawk again. Suddenly, the hawk uh, banked and then flew straight down purposely without fighting. The hawk banked and flew straight downward, into, going with the downwind. And he says, if the, he thought to himself, if the right air is, if the right air is anywhere, it's upward. The hawk was committing suicide 200 feet to the ground. From nowhere, he said, the thought entered my mind, follow the hawk. <laughs> he said it went against everything I knew about flying. Again, he's descending. hawk descended faster, purposely. It went, everything, it went against everything I thought about flying. But now all my knowledge was useless. I was at the mercy of the wind, so I'm like, followed the hawk. He gave in and went down toward the toward the ground with the, with the gust of wind, 100 feet now from the ground. Suddenly, he saw the hawk gain altitude before him. And he said, for a split second, I also seemed to be suspended motionless in air. And then a warm surge of air pushed me, started pushing the glider upward. He says, I was stunned. And I just floated up. And he said, nothing I know as a pilot could explain this phenomenon. But it was true, I was rising. And then the comment was, on occasion, we as Christians have similar downdrafts in our life, things that are pushing us, pushing us, pushing us, reversals of fortune, humiliating experiences. And what do we want to do? Lift ourselves up. Lift ourselves up. But God's word, like the red-tailed hawk, tells us, go down. Do the opposite. God's word tells us, dive under the hand of God to humble ourselves. And if we humble ourselves, God will send a thermal wind that lifts us up. That's what he says there. I need to I think about humility. I need to practice it with respect to God saying, God, God knows what I need. God knows my lift I need. God knows what I need. I practice it in light of the hand of God. It's an uplifting hand. Let it be. It's an open hand. He says, um, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. It's an open hand. It's a caring hand. Now, another thing. 
He can handle it and he cares. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Humility puts me in a place where I'm able to cast my care on God and able to give him things and feel that he cares for me more. You know, sometimes you get so much relief just talking to somebody and then on top of that, talking to somebody who cares. Isn't that relieving just to talk to somebody who will listen and then on top of it, who actually cares? You're like, man, that did so much good. In the counseling realm, they call it talk therapy. And here, what grooms us for that is humility, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. So again, all of this, all of what we're saying, we're winding this down, all of this is predicated, you know, this, this blessing, this grace, this God lifts us up in my points of life, all of it's predicated on me having a humble attitude, a humble disposition throughout my life. Not a self-beating thing, not some pouty, sad-faced, pathetic Christian no, it's just, again, get over yourself type of an attitude. It's all predicated on obeying this command. We think if I exalt self, if I'm proud, I'll do well. But Jesus said he that exalts himself is going to get abased. But he that humbles himself will be exalted. And that's what the garment we want to put on because it looks like Jesus. And if it looks like Jesus, that's all we want, right? So... God help us with this today. I hope you're blessed and helped by God's word.